0: Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller, an African-American, licensed psychotherapist, professor, diversity coach, consultant, and author. We talk about the isms, we talk about the phobias, anything that marginalizes and oppresses. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, we'll have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Jasmine Williams is a proud inner city educator who has dedicated her career to improving the outcomes and experience for students learning in inner city community. She is an assistant principal and an instructional coach in East Cleveland, Ohio. Her work is ruthless in its pursuit of raising awareness and accountability for the quality of care and instruction that students receive. She is also an educational consultant and founder of The Urban Educator. She is committed to empowering and transformation within the classrooms. Please welcome Jasmine Williams to
1: CTN with J.D. Fuller.
0: Jasmine, welcome to space, my sister. So happy to have you. Thank
1: you so much. So happy to be here.
0: Absolutely. I wanna begin with a little background insight on you. So tell us something from your childhood that is the reason why you are who you are today.
1: Mm, I would say being born to a teenage parent, teenage mother, gave me a lot of time and experiences with my grandparents. And I do think that just, you know, in their generation, what they've experienced really rubbed up on me in regards to, you know, what was accessible to them and the way that they were able to live their lives. And it was very much so, it almost lit a fire of, I'm going to go after everything that they told me was mine. And so I would say that, yeah, being being heavily influenced. And I, re- I was raised by my mother as well, but my grandparents were there, you know? And so I think just just that, that taste of their generation and what they went through planted the seeds, I think, for where I am now.
0: That's, you know, I hear that sometimes from kids who grew up with their parents, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. You know? So you kind of got, you, it sounds like you got the best of both worlds in the sense that you saw how your mom had to get things done, but yeah. you also saw the support and guidance of your grandparents,
1: which is wonderful. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you, and it was, you know, for me, it was, you know, some people grow up and they think like their parents are these just like invincible beings. I got to see that human beings were flawed early. And I think though that in a way that was refreshing though, like it made me okay to kind of make mistakes and okay to kind of try things because I didn't see a perfect adult. (laughs) You know, I, I saw an adult that had grit and went through trials. So absolutely, absolutely.
0: Wow, you know, you bring up an interesting point from a psychological lens, which is what I'm always looking through. The idea that I always tell teenagers that they're uh, they're raising their parents, they're teaching their parents how to parent them. Yeah, at a point in life, and so you you really you <laughs> did that to the extreme. I mean, you kind of you know, in growing up with your mom really had to give her information that she might not have been receptive to until absolutely you got older. No. Absolutely,
1: wow. absolutely, and it was I- a lot of. trial and error. Now Mm -hmm. at this point in our lives, we're very close, best of friends. But absolutely, there were a lot of times where, you know, sometimes I guess I would even call it sometimes resentment would even seep in, right? Because you would kind of compare to other parent child relationships. But now though, I do feel that everything that I went through as a child, often I would think, you know, why this or why that? But there's been so many times where I'm working with my students, where I've truly been there. <laughs> I've yeah. truly been there, and yeah. so it create, yeah. it's just it's just different. And so I, I'm thankful for all of it for sure. You must have an old
0: soul too. I yeah. think I'm
1: never quite sure how to read it. Wow, <laughs> yeah. but
0: yeah. yeah, you know, for example, I I had older parents. They always thought my parents were my grandparents. Okay. And and I had some of that resentment of you know other other people's parents being so much younger yeah. and able to do so much more. But in a lot of ways, it did it raised me as an old soul yeah. with a young spirit, which is an odd combination yeah. and often challenged. But I, it makes sense to me. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You have some wisdom that you know you didn't even know you had probably when you were growing up. Yes. You know, because of what you supposed to. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so I want to get into something you posted. Uh, you said, correct me if I'm wrong, this is this is what you offer. You provide resources rooted in wellness, equity, intellectualism, and love. Please explain what that looks like and how these might intersect.
1: Yeah, so I think the main thing where right, we hear a lot of things about teaching the whole child and responding to the whole child, and I think there is a matter, I think there is just a priority that, of like learning the whole child too. And I think when we think about school, I mean, just education in itself, there are so many environments where it's very controlled and rigid and they, compliance, right? And so for me, when I'm thinking about what I want to do and who I want to connect with is that we're prioritizing like this idea that wellness is accessible to you, even if you are from an environment that is not ideal, and that wow. wellness can look a lot of different ways. And so for us, it's wellness for me is really giving them experiences for them to just learn different versions of themselves. When I talk about equity is ensuring that I'm responding to you the way you need me to respond to you. So I always say like, I am a thousand different Dean Williams for my kids because they don't need the same version. There's different things I have to pull from myself. There's different just experiences I have to pull from when I'm speaking with them. So you know, I read in a book, it was one of the questions about equity was equity is asking, How can I get every student there? And it spoke to me because there is so open. There can be Mm -hmm. so many different things. And so my job is to figure out what is there for my children, for our students, and then what can we do to kind of get them there? And when I think about intellectualism, I'm thinking about I don't want a child to just repeat what I've given them. I want them to critically think and pick apart and challenge me and tell me that they don't agree and tell me why and let's debate it right like I don't want them to just be beings that you tell me I say it back and then that's success and it's not we don't mm. I want to build thinkers people who are able to challenge and be strong in that without being judgmental in it but you know being being able to say yeah hey I hear you but I disagree and that's okay and then in the aspect of love Just, you know, I know that there are children that I'm not going to say I think that children don't get love, but I think love looks a lot of ways. And I think that it's our job as educators to show what healthy love is. Uh, One phrase I say all the time in my building is we don't do that here. That's a very non-threatening way of I'm not saying what you see at home is wrong, but I'm saying here Mm -hmm. there's a different way of doing things. And so just exposing them to healthy love and what no love within friendships, love within, you know, just showing them exposure is big for me. So I would say all of those pieces kind of come together with giving them the right exposure to opportunities, to challenges, and yeah, and to love.
0: I love the way you um, explain that and the way you showed the intersectionality. I think the tricky thing about love, particularly when it comes to communities in the global majority, you know, it is judged based from on a Eurocentric lens mm-hmm. and a very westernized perspective of what love looks like. 100%. And that, I, I think that's hugely problematic because obviously it it does the opposite of what you're saying, is it says if you don't do it this way, then it's a problem. And I think people have to be really careful of that. Right. Especially with new parenting. I understand this new age parenting. I get <laughs> right, right,
1: right, right. 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 I get it. <laughs> yes. Anyway, there's a place for old school as well. Absolutely. That's, what got, that's what got you here. Right, <laughs> you know, so. right, right. Absolutely. And you're right. It's it, it it's so often that people are like, yes, we like different as long as it fits into this box. Like you can be different within this box. <laughs> and <laughs> it, and it's gross. Like it, it's it's problematic. And so just just even the language shift of uh, as opposed to telling something someone that, that's not right or that that nope that doesn't fit to this community, <laughs> to the culture that we have here. So that way, you're like you're saying, we're not almost forcing my view. I'm just simply saying the way that we're going to be in harmony here looks like this. Yeah,
0: yeah, I appreciate that. You posted something that said, if you're not in this arena getting your ass kicked, you're not interested in their feedback. Will you break that down? <laughs> so,
1: I think that there are a lot of people giving their perspective with no experience around what they're putting their two cents in. And I just mm-hmm. think that teachers specifically, when we look at just how many teachers are leaving and a lot of feedback that I've gotten is that they, the leadership is just, they don't feel supported or the support that they do get isn't relevant to you know what's happening. And so for me, I like to operate in a sense of like, I work alongside you. I tell my team, I- I'm, glad to be, I'm glad to be in partnership with you. We're, we're doing this thing together. And I'm not just going to watch from the balcony you getting your butt kicked. I'm literally going to say, can you tap me in? And I'm going to ask that first because support looks very different for everyone. But it's, let- it's ensuring that they know that I'm here to get my hands dirty just like you. And to be totally honest, my hands are already dirty. So I'm here to just continue <laughs> and add in more, you know? So just so they know that my feedback is never coming from a place where I gotcha. But it's from a place of, hey, have you considered this? And really rich conversations come from that. Like, hey, can you tell me about what you were doing here? I don't immediately go into what worked for me or, you know, what, what, I've, what I've seen elsewhere. Sometimes I just like to simply know, like, why did you choose to make that choice? <laughs> right? Like, wh- where was your thought process at? So for me, it's really, I'm never going to be that Be that person that is so gung ho on being a leader that like humanity is lost. I think that we are all working towards a common goal and we're just kind of on different, you know, we have different roles on this team, but same team doing the same thing. And that's the mindset that I like to carry.
0: You know, two things came up for me when you're saying that one is that that is a collective perspective, which is very much the the culture of the global majority. You know, we are a collective group of people. It it is about collaboration and it takes a village kind of Mm -hmm. mentality. And also it's, it it sounds, you know, something about your mom being young and your grandparents being older that taught you something about leadership that you didn't learn in a book. That's what I hear.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember my grandparents very early, I don't know if it's problematic, but very early they would say things like, you have to remind yourself that no one owes you anything. And even that simple, no one owes me anything. I'm not owed a handout. Sometimes I'm not owed an explanation. <laughs> Sometimes I'm, you know what I mean? I'm not owed that. So I'm not running around seeking for certain things that I know I'm not owed. It's very personal to me. And you're right. That is something that, you know, I was told, but then I had to live it. And I was, and, and they made me live it <laughs> in, in ways that I appreciate though. You know, there were times where my childhood didn't look like my friends. And looking back on it now, I'm thankful for that because there are just some, there are just some moments in which I don't have to react <laughs> because I, I know bigger picture what's really happening here, and it just you know okay. it's okay. Yeah. yeah,
0: sense. I am going to say, however, we are old reparations. <laughs> I just want to make yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let me get my ground Yes. <laughs> We, we're not talking about reparations because no, we all know. No, rever- no, no. We're more, <laughs> more so in the sense of humbling yourself to know that, <laughs> you know. I, I know what you're talking about. Yes. I know what you're talking about. Right. Yes. Please don't confuse that. Please don't confuse <laughs> that.
0: <laughs> okay. You are an instructional coach, an assistant principal and an urban educator. Yeah, Where does one begin and the other end?
1: Does that make it sense? It does make sense. It's a great question actually. I would say an urban educator doesn't end for me. I think that's truly like a part of my identity, my identity. I think I am a believer. So I do think when I was created, like if visually, I feel like that cup of urban educator was like sprinkled into my makeup. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. I'll never take it off. And I always find a way to you know tap into that arena. But I would say instructional coaching, that's something that I get a lot of joy from now. And it's something that allows the bigger picture of being an urban educator. That's just the avenue that I'm taking to almost deliver what I'm trying to do. Because I was an urban educator when I was a teacher. I was an urban educator when I was a para. I was an urban educator when I was a tutor, right? So I don't think that's ever going to leave. And I even think when I'm working with my own daughter who... Is not an urban kid at all. (laughs) I'm very suburban. (laughs) But with my own child, though, I still take what I've learned and what I've experienced from being an urban educator to educate her and to give her these experiences as well. So I think that I don't know if I can say that the urban educator in me, if it ends, I don't know if I really wanted to. It's one part of me that I'm like very proud of. It's sacred, (laughs) and I cherish it because I know that the work is special and the work is avoided. And it's just really, really important to me. Mm-hmm.
0: So many things come up for me right now. I'm going to try to organize them in my brain where all the tabs are open all the time. <laughs> right. uh, you said you said something that I think I, I speak to often, and I think I speak to it because it's important, which is you have a suburban kid and you came from an urban background. Right. And so oftentimes parents... You know, I'll hear parents say of older kids, you know, my, my kid just just not like me, it doesn't have the same drive, it doesn't have this, that or the other. And, I, and that's when I reach back and say, well, how are you raised?
1: Yeah.
0: You know, this is why you can't remove everything in terms of the way you are raised, because your child's not does, you don't want to have the same struggle. I get that. Right. But there needs to be a, a struggle. There needs to be an experience. There needs to be a, a reason to thrive, because this society is not going to make it easy, whether they came from the burbs or, or not. the hood.
1: Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. You know? And, and I, I think I think it might've been the book I was reading, they said, I can't think of the author's name, but she said, there's a fine line between adversity and trauma. And I think yeah. that that is powerful well, that- because adversity, my child is going to experience. It is necessary. <laughs> but like you said, once we cross over to those trauma lanes, then that is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to keep her away from. But you're right. Yeah. I, I, I will, I refuse to raise a child who is quote unquote privileged or don't consider other human beings or value other perspectives? Absolutely not. So that is something that won't go away, even with the environment of the verbs, like you said. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And again,
0: for them, not for you and me, we don't have privilege. So that's not anything you can ever do. Because she's not going to have access just based on the color of her skin. Yes, she may have. You may have opportunity.
1: Yes, thank but you I don't, for that question. Yes,
0: yeah, I, I just don't want to homogenize the word privilege right. because that's done with too many different things that we experience in our population, mm. and I, I think it needs to be recognized as such. There is an advantage that comes to being born in a certain body versus the other. So your daughter is going to experience adversity just moving the way she is through the world. Yes, And you're going to coach her on how to do that in a way that allows her to integrate both your experience, you know, how you grew up, but also with her reality. And I appreciate that. Yeah, That's great. And she's darn adorable. I can't get enough of those videos. Thank you so
1: much. She's so fun. (laughs)
0: Let me preface it this way. I'm always thinking while I'm talking, so bear with me. You know, we have to think through two minds in black and brown bodies, right? We we have to think through two minds. So while I'm thrilled about your focus and understanding of being an urban educator, I also am and kind of like at the same time a little bit concerned that receivers will think that skill set and your services might not benefit their learners because mm-hmm. it doesn't resemble an urban environment. And and I, I have some thoughts on that, but I wanted to hear your thoughts on that because I know your services mm-hmm will benefit everyone. So can you speak on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, no, I would love to hear your perspective. And I don't, I'll just answer like exactly what's on my mind of that. Yeah. While I do truly feel that everyone will be a benefit prioritizing equity, intellectualism, love and wellness. But I do feel that my focus and my lens are for predominantly black and brown spaces because I've seen so many educators going about it in the wrong way with a lot of control and denial of bias. And while I do think that absolutely everybody would benefit from the focus, my personal focus Mm -hmm. is on the lower socioeconomic group of students, Black inner city students. I do feel that they deserve to be one vocal point. And that's just my perspective. I am curious to see what you say. But yeah, from my perspective, and that's where I would like to be because I see a lot of damage being done by both black and white educators to that group of students. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I think that there's a lot of urban kids going to private schools.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so and actually I am working in one right now and I see the urban student. In this environment, you know, uh, a white space, Mm, per se. mm -hmm. And I see that this urban student whose parents have worked extra hard, sacrificed, given up whatever they can because they believe this is the best education Mm -hmm. for their child. And their child has to figure out how to navigate this white space with not a lot of support. Yeah. Because it wasn't created specifically for them and their experience. And so that's where I see your skill set also benefiting Mm. other populations that are just not specifically um, brown and black spaces, but where brown and
1: black kids are showing up. Right. In and academic then, environments. Yeah, that's actually very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because you're right that, you know, the goal, quote unquote, is to get, <laughs> to get out of, you know, mm-hmm. these areas and you're right. You're, you're, you're exactly right. And that's interesting. That's interesting. You have my brain going too. That might be another client. <laughs> because Oh no. Oh no. It is another client. That is another client. <laughs> Let me correct you. That is another client. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're right. I, I didn't even, I didn't consider because my experience has been in all title one schools, that that's just kind of where my mm-hmm. default brain goes, but mm-hmm. you're absolutely right.
0: Absolutely. Right. That's a market for you. That's a market for you. Trust yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. In international schools is a lot of brown and black kids and they come from different cultures, uh, different learning styles and different access. Yeah. And some yeah. could really benefit from what you provide. Yeah. Okay. So now I want to ask you a technical question. Okay. What does it mean for a child to be a proficient reader or to have reader proficiency? And then there's a second part to that. Okay. What is the main barrier or contributing factor?
1: So just like textbook speaking, there's a, for, as far as like grades go, a child is proficient if they are able to fluently read, <laughs> comprehend, and then they have, you know, the vocabulary acquisitional skills that they would need. Then there's some okay. background knowledge that goes into there too. So all of those all kind of work together for them to be able to read and understand and I want to and enjoy reading like you need to be able to have all of those things and so if a child is quote-unquote proficient in regards to what the assessments say they're able to put those pieces together <clears throat> and correctly answer a set of questions we know that there's so much more that goes into mastery and learning however our nation is light years behind, and they are determining your ability by a test score. So in regards mm-hmm. to where I work, that is proficient. I may give a different de- definition personally, but like to your question, that is being proficient, being able to accurately answer questions at, you know, 70% accuracy, and including all of those skills. We listened listening to a podcast that was mind-blowing called Sold a Story, and mm-hmm. her research found that Sixty five percent of fourth graders are not proficient. So one of those things are missing. One or more (laughs) of those things are missing. And then 80 percent of black fourth graders are not proficient. And when we think about one, those numbers are just heartbreaking because there's something that we can do about it. It's not stuck there, you know what I mean? There is a solution. And so when we're thinking about like why that is or why students are struggling to be proficient, I think it's so layered. I think there's multiple reasons, but the first thing that my brain goes to is that they're being forced to learn one way. And I think that there are so many settings that the teacher teaches and then the child is supposed to learn it. And if the child doesn't learn it, then something's wrong with them. And until we fix that point of who to put the focus on, if we're only ever going to blame the child, that's why we are at 65 Mm -hmm. and 80% proficient. I think we have to do a better job as like a nation of moving the accountability and not just on the teacher. They always like to either, it's a teacher or kid, teacher or kid. But redesigning this whole thing of how do we introduce new information to them and how are we allowing them to show mastery as opposed to throwing this test in front of them when we think about the layer of or the aspect that the tests are really considering those black and brown students taking it there's a level of are is it really 80% or is it 80% on the test made by the majority you know what i mean like mm. if you and i created the test for a group of students that we had an experience with and that we knew would that number still be the same i don't know so i think it it's it's the, it's the way in which we measure <laughs> in t- proficiency and mastery it's the way in which we correct students and it's the curriculums that never consider those students but force them to learn it day after day that is where i think the issue lies and
0: it's a systemic issue 100%. that you know these these tests and assessments are created the way that they are they absolutely are created to not be accessible for the kids who look like us and it's it's just it's a conundrum for sure it is Uh, because it's you know we have to figure out how to do that in spite of knowing the system is built to not do that
1: right right it's another thing that I sometimes it breaks my heart because it's like Again, I do see that, yes, they're not being proficient on these assessments, but there are also moments where I'm literally reading with children and they are not fluent, right? They they are not comprehending. And that is when I look at, I want children to know that it's nothing wrong with you. It's just simply that you don't learn the way you've been taught. If you are a kid that's been at the same elementary school, K to eight, you haven't had much variety. And I think it's just so important. For teachers to look within and and be able to say, hey, I'm not reaching this kid. Can we get someone who may? As opposed to, hey, your child has a learning disability.
0: Yes. Yes. So true. And you spoke to this a little bit, but I wanted to know if you wanted to elaborate it at all. Which is basically, you know, you said when a student is struggling, it's important that there are many contributing factors that are considered. Yes. Yes. And so,
1: there. Yeah, we can't just immediately go to... You know, the child can't read because even that is so open in what part of reading, like reading is not just like a thing, like there's so so many things that go into that. But, you know, I had a, we had a student, um, this is actually a good example. We had a student um, a couple years ago who was put on an IEP and the year before that they were homeless her and her siblings and her and her mother was homeless and her mother was able to get some resources the child was on that iep for that year but also during that year the mother was kind of you know she got some resources she got back on her feet it's like really really like she she made it kind of through that really hard time that they had and within that fall then so the next year so now they're a couple months into this new life the child i mean pr- proficiency flew up like she was reading she was engaged she was joyful and so that's what I mean by that. A, a teacher may have labeled that child as incompetent, defiant, and incapable, but no, there was a huge life factor happening that hindered her from being able to reach the potential that was always there. And had we allowed her to just kind of you know, stay on this IEP and get pushed along, as we see oftentimes... It, it, we wouldn't have tapped into that potential, but we stayed on her. Of, no, no, the bar is up here for you and you can reach it. No, nope, try, let's try it again. Let's try a different way. And so that's what I mean by, again, slapping an IEP on her is not what did it. The change in environment and her family having a, a home and consistent food is what did it. And so yeah. that's what I mean by there are just so many layers that go into a child's ability to be successful. Well, how we define successful, but, you know, yeah. successful. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, you, you bring up something that I feel like I've been really big on the last couple of years, which is, you know, this idea of the mantra is social emotional learning. It seems to be the latest trend yeah. all around <laughs> that we have to tend to the social emotional <laughs> learning. And, and I think that people have a different idea of what that means. And so I'm curious what, what your, how you make sense out of that because I, I have my own sense that I make out of it.
1: Yeah, you know, I think I'm still learning and unlearning and taking in and giving away uh, because you're right, it is so all over. Um, and there, if there's ways that it's really cute and fun, but I think there are ways that it should be really raw. And, and um, you know, when I'm thinking, so, when I'm thinking about social emotional learning, I want them to learn how to, you know, manage their time. What does it look like to plan? What does it look like to disagree? How do you regulate yourself when you are vulnerable or when you are, you know, when something's something there that you really want, but you know you shouldn't do, right? Like, how do you respond to temptation? What does temptation feel like? Um, how do you know if someone is good for you? I think there's a lot that goes into it, uh, into this idea of social emotional learning, but I think it's a way of, for me allowing or the entry level to, someone learning who they are themselves. And I think it's the earlier we can allow children to know that they're individual, the better because they're not forcing themselves to fit in these spaces that they just don't fit in. And so I think Mm -hmm. social emotional learning is, is in the foundational work of like in you as an individual and, and how you are going to connect with this world. And then there are some yeah. tips in there of, you know, healthy communication and what does that look like? And, you know, how do you respond when you are upset and things of like that? But it's really allowing them to know that like me and this body is like this, this amazing journey that I'm going to go on. And how do I allow myself to be searching for my own happiness and not forcing myself to be the success that my teacher in second grade told me that
0: it was. hmm hmm So I, I agree, and I want to add a, another mm-hmm. lens to it, which is mm-hmm. the mental health lens. You know, when you were talking mm-hmm. about that mm-hmm. that child, you know, how is a child who has a real stressor and trauma-like homelessness expected to learn? There needs to be more of an academic proficiency around the mental health component of social-emotional learning. If that child has the burden and the barrier of a, of a mental health stressor, that has to be considered because how can yes. they discover themselves if the trauma keeps revisiting them? As it is, they're going to have to learn, black and brown students anyway, have to learn about the, how to integrate racial trauma into their lives and still continue to thrive. Yeah. So it's very, very, it's, it's different. You know, it's not the same for everyone. And I, I understand the idea of discovering who they are individually. And also, I think we can't remove the collective part of the culture.
1: Mm-hmm. because that's mm-hmm.
0: what's going to nurture that's what's gonna nurture and support them on this journey. I just think that the schools tend to miss the mental health component as a part of that social emotional learning, and I would love to see that better integrated into the reality of what kids are dealing with. Does that make sense? yeah uh, yeah, just i i just I want that to be integrated into the academic environment more where people are considering okay, what is what is all that this child is bringing in? To school, they're not just bringing their their body in their book bag. Mm-hmm. They're bringing other stressors along right. with hormones and developmental issues. There's there's also real life outside stressors that they're 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 being impacted by, and so that that social emotional piece is going to inform their presence in your class and ability to really take in all that you're trying to offer. That's the part that I absolutely.
1: I'd like to get into. I agree. I I 100 agree, and I think that. Again, when we're thinking about just the way that schooling is structured, I think it's intentionally not prioritized. I think they, I think that, yeah, they're brushing over it and it's easier to just say that this kid has behavior issues as opposed to... You know, because that takes a lot of work and that takes a lot of more hands involved and that takes a lot more knowledge. And, and, you know, and I I think that, yeah, I think that in a way it's almost intentional. But then another part of me feels that people don't see the value as you stated. I don't think people really know the layers of struggle. And, you know, another piece that is kind of in my mind right now is, you know, some of our families aren't there. And so when I start talking to them about certain needs, the pushback mm-hmm. and fear that rises, that is also a layer of it of, you know, some family members when I say things like, um, you know, he seems very low, you know, these past couple of days and I haven't really seen him smile a lot and things and, you know, the response being, oh, I mean, he, he's all right or, you know, or, he's too young to have, you know, it's almost like I, I wish I, what I, I would strive for is not only. Educating and changing the way we operate in schools, but having some type of family support or club yeah. that will allow the families to learn, think, um, and unlearn really about that as well, because they can be very apprehensive when you start talking about that.
0: Well, and we have to look at the the history, you know, uh, yeah. and and concerns about right being stigmatized. Mm-hmm. You know, just like mental health has been stigmatized in our communities, there needs to be a lot more education around mental health and the fact that. How can you live in a society that is constantly pressing on who you are in a way that feels oppressive, and not have a mental health component? Yeah, that that doesn't seem possible yeah. to me. So to normalize it more, like there's nothing wrong with your child; it's the environment that has created this. So how can we collaborate to support your child and you? Yes, in this understanding. Absolutely, absolutely. It's
1: really it's it's really it's it, it's interesting. Like it's 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 interesting because. You know, I truly believe that our families are doing the best that they can. The families that I yeah. serve, they're doing the best they can. And and so sometimes they don't even see how their choices are kind of <laughs> harming, right? You know, yeah. their, their children. Um, but you're right. It is it is a component that um, needs to be prioritized. And what's what what I learned is in this role as an assistant principal, as a dean, you know, that I can, my, my reach is only so far because I'm still in someone's box. And so in this role, I'm still in someone's box. And so it, it's, it's me being really, really okay with being the only person in the room to kind of say, Hey, let's think about, let's think about this differently. But I've I've had to learn to really be okay with that because it's not, it's not always prioritized, especially the higher up that you go.
0: Yes. No, no, I hear that completely. And you can only do what you can do. Mm -hmm. I just think, you know, exposing them to 100%. new information about is where it begins. You know, 100%. you share a lot of resources uh, on your social media and off the top of your head, what are, what are five books you think would benefit educators?
1: So black appetite, white food. It is like, I'm ready to get it again. <laughs> I just love the way it was written. So black appetite, uh, white food. Why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria? That I I actually truly think that um, the color of law is one mm-hmm. that would benefit, especially when you think about redlining and uh, the, uh, like, that is relevant. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. it, 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 is, it explains a lot <laughs> when you really mm-hmm. think about the systemic issue. So the color of law I think would be um, a great one. We want to do more than survive. That one is beautiful because even the titles is beautiful. And let's see, you said five, maybe? Peek behind me. Right, go for it. Yeah. Ah, this is a good one, too. The Equity and Social Justice Education by Dr. Caffelli. This is another one that I should... <laughs> it's another one well, that is phenomenal in a sense of, like, more practical. How do I take this and apply it to a school? Um, but those will be the ones that I, I would highly suggest, especially for someone who, let's say, and I won't even say non-black because there are some black people who are still getting there themselves there. There are some people who don't really buy in to what to to the true harm that is there or to the oppression that still exists every day in classrooms. And I think that the color of law, really allows people to see there's this isn't opinionated these are facts this is history Mm -hmm. and so you can see the historical (laughs) thumbprint on what we're we're trying to get across so those would be my five
0: great great thank you so much Absolutely. look before we before we uh wrap up i want to make sure that you put all your social media handles out there along with your website. Would you please do that? Yes.
1: So as I was introduced, my name is Jasmine Williams. Uh, You can find me at The Urban EDU or Instagram. That is, is where I am the most active. I love to connect. I like to be challenged. You've challenged me before and I appreciated it. You know, I like, so I like that. So definitely join in there. And then the website is theirbinedu.com. I'm excited. My website my website is actually being revamped with some cool things going to where I have some big pieces being added. And so I'm really excited to explore that, that, you know, putting my thoughts on paper and allowing that to be explored as well. But yes, yeah, definitely always open to conversations and thoughts and articles and just different experiences that will allow me to learn because I am nowhere at the end of this. I'm so far at the be- I'm so at the beginning that it's exciting. And so, yeah, definitely come along the ride at the Urban Eating You. What about uh, Linktree and uh, LinkedIn? Oh, yes. Jasmine Williams. Jasmine spelled J-A-S-M-Y-N Williams. You can find me on LinkedIn and that way. It could be under Jasmine Williams, M-E-D, but okay. yes.
0: Okay. Any, uh, anything else? Did we get among?
1: I think. We talk, anything it. else? No, you know, I, I limit myself with the platforms. I understand. So sometimes too understand. much is also a thing. I <laughs> um,
0: understand. Well, yes. I just want to make sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. Just Instagram. Just Instagram. And of course, my email, you can always email me to info at if you are interested in. You know, just collaboration or, or things of that.
0: Perfect. Look, and Jasmine, although I am a fairly recent follower, it felt like we vibed immediately yeah. and I appreciate that. Yes. Yeah, good. Okay. And I like the way you hold educators accountable while making room for what they don't know and being willing to teach them. Yeah. I think that's really Thank important. You. Yeah. When you post, I know school's about to be in session for <laughs> real. So I make sure I get my <laughs> lesson for the day.
1: just want (laughs) to offer another perspective (laughs) no no no
0: my class second school has opened we about to hear something so I I try to you know reshare what you do I appreciate you and what you are doing may you continue to be uplifted and thank you so much for uh, taking this time to hang out with me today
1: absolutely thank you so much thank you so much definitely a fan of your work and all that you do so it's so mutual Mm -hmm. it's it's very it's, it's enjoyable to be able to learn From the people in your community and the way that you frame things is very profound, but also very clear. So I appreciate it. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. I love I love a good mutual uh, appreciation session. Thank you so much. That that means a lot to me.
0: Yeah. Sincerely, that means a lot to me. All right. I'll be in touch. And
1: again, thank you. Thank you. Bye
0: please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller.